cobwebs. You gotta be kidding. We were the only two people at this revival house in Rome for a midnight showing of bringing up baby. <laughs> you ever see the movie Casablanca? Same thing, except no Nazis. Oh. Husband was a movie freak. Actually, he was particularly obsessed with one movie, The Wizard of Oz. He talked about it constantly. John Wayne was tall. Dustin Hoffman was five six. Would you want to see Dustin Hoffman save the Alamo? I was always kind of partial to Roy Rogers, actually. I really like those sequined shirts. Any man, woman, child could buy their ticket, walk right in. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Enjoy the show. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Cobwebs podcast. This is the podcast where we are dusting off classic cinema to see what it has to offer today. And my name is Daniel Epler. I am your host. And today we are closing out our three-part series on romantic comedies. Thank you so much to everybody who has followed us along with this journey. And finally, we are talking about Billy Wilder's Some Like It Hot from 1959. And joining me for this discussion, he is back on the show, the host of Inside the Sequel, and the man who challenges the idea that nobody's perfect. It's Chris Hurtado. What's up, Chris? <laughs> I'm back from my hiatus on cobwebs. I'm happy to be here. Can you believe you haven't been on a cobwebs in two whole episodes? It's killing me, dude. It kills me. <laughs> I want everyone to know I'm a big fan of the show. I love watching classic cinema all the time. That's right. That's right. And even though you are on the show a lot, you're often on for like special episodes or special series or something like that. This is kind of your first totally normal, traditional episode of Cobwebs. Uh, that's true. That's true. I was kind of thinking about, I was like, what have we done where we just do a one-off and not like a series or an event thing? You know, when your ratings are low and you need it to jolt back up. Yeah, that's right. You're the ratings booster. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, man, uh, uh, thank you so much for coming on and to talk about this movie. Um, let, let's let's start off by talking about the genre that, uh, that this series is dedicated to. Romantic comedies. How do you feel about this genre? Uh, it's pretty hit and miss. Like, it's not like my go-to. I think I, I think I like romantic comedies the most because it blends both of those two things together, like in a equilibrium of what I look for in movies, you know, like, I don't want to like just go see comedies and I don't like such stuffy, melodramatic films. Um, so like, it's like a nice, uh, mix of them. And when I usually go to watch older movies, it's the screwball comedy is the, like the ones I like a lot. Um, and I don't think you get anything better than like Billy Wilder, aside from maybe like Howard Hawks's early stuff with Cary Grant and Catherine Hepburn. But uh, yeah, this is like a good blend for what I look for when I watch older movies and even like modern um, romantic comedies. Um, I would say in the 2010s, we got a lot of really good ones that um, I was a big fan of. And I don't think they got as much love as they probably should have. That's really cool to hear because uh, I, I think a lot of people talk about how the romantic comedy genre is dead nowadays. And I don't know that it's dead, but it's definitely decreased from this kind of time period we're talking about today. So what are some of those those modern romantic comedies that you're really liking these days? I, re I really like Trainwreck. I don't think people talk about Trainwreck enough. Um, I really like Trainwreck like too. Shooter. That's awesome. Yeah. It's like do you remember like the late 2000s when you were getting like valentine's day new year's eve you know these big <laughs> star casted romantic comedy movies that center around events um yeah. i kind of like those and we don't get them anymore i think valentine's day was another one and um you and i feel like amy schumer kind of ushered in like romantic comedies again where it's like you get like not like the a-list a-list stars but like 
comedians being in romantic roles and you get like cameos from like you know famous a-listers so, like lebron james is in you know train wreck john cena's in it you know like at the heights and peacemaker himself he is in it <laughs> <laughs> right like, i think that stuff's kind of cool it's like when i'm watching a movie with two people i like um you know and then i see famous people that i really like then um you know it's kind of like a sweet recipe for me it's just very easy to watch uh the most recent one i could think is game night when we you showed it to me like i had a good time watching that and uh, that's like comedy and romance together. It's not about falling in love, but it's like rekindling like affection towards each other again. And that's kind of nice or like not. I guess it's not probably the best way to say it, but like the next step of a relationship. But it has that same kind of vibe. And uh, they're just easy watch movies for me. Um, but Trainwrecked is usually one I usually go to or anything like uh, if it has Greta Gerwig, some of her earlier stuff uh, had some of that romantic comedy um, sprinkled in there, too. Yeah, a lot of times romantic comedies live and die by the main actors and how much you like hanging out with them for an hour and a half, two hours. And uh, man, Bill Hader is fantastic in Trainwreck. He's, he, I think he is the shining star of the movie, but um, him and Amy Schumer do have surprisingly great chemistry in that movie. And they are a really fun couple to hang out with for that period. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, but like in like the 1940s and like 50s, like I said, uh, the screwball comedies are just so fun. And like the romance is so good, too. It's just something about seeing very attractive people fall in love and have a goofy time and getting that to happen. Um, another one like I really like is called Sliding Doors. I think it's from 2000 or 1999 with uh, Gwyneth Paltrow and John Hanna. Really like that movie. It's a really good romantic comedy. Um you know, I think the romantic comedy genre kind of, at least when I was growing up, I always kept thinking it's everything Julia Roberts or Hugh Grant, you know, and I think some okay, people sure. thought that too. So it's easy to like bash them. Um, but there's a few that I still like from the 2000s. I feel like that's the, that's when the genre was like, you know, blowing up again, because like, you got things like Made in Manhattan, which I really liked and like the Hugh Grant stuff. I don't know. I think it's just really easy watch stuff. I love the Hugh Grant stuff, and it's largely not terribly respected, which is why it took me so long to get around to it. But I watched a bunch of Hugh Grant movies last year, and they're really, really good. Like, they're surprisingly great movies, and he's super great in them. Yeah, it's just like we haven't recovered from the genre standpoint. It hasn't recovered since Failure to Launch. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it does seem like there was a run of movies for a while that kind of killed the genre in mainstream eyes at least um and i would say failure to launch is one but you know what what barely exists anymore that i miss that that did exist back in these 30s 40s 50s days is there were these brilliant highly respected directors who were at the top of their field the top of their game who largely made comedies and that doesn't really exist anymore it seems like nowadays if you're going to be a really respected director one of the top of your field um you got to make really serious movies really serious very high-minded low on humor um you got to be christopher nolan you got to be denis villeneuve you got to be martin scorsese although i wouldn't call martin scorsese low on humor but he does make very serious Mm -hmm. movies um and uh and, and back in these days like you would have Preston Sturgis, you would have Ernst Lubitsch, you would have Billy Wilder, just these these guys who are massive successes, and they mostly make comedies. I mean, Billy Wilder doesn't entirely make comedies. He's got Stalag 17, he's got Double Indemnity, Ace in the Hole, Sunset Boulevard, he's got plenty of other stuff, 
but um the guy made a lot of comedy uh and i i i just love that these movies that are brilliantly well made wonderfully acted have great cinematography they look beautiful um the scripts are so tight and and they're made to be comedies and i i i just think that is becoming something of a lost art you know when some of the best movies of the year are just comedies and and i i miss those days you know i really do yeah comedy is a weird one for me i've always thought it's just like it it rides off who's the most popular comedian right now and who's the most profitable and just put them in movies um basically i think snl really started that trend with the national lampoon stuff in like the 80s and then I don't think of too many comedies in the 90s that that, come, that run off of my head. But then I think of the 2000s. Um, it's just, you know, stuff with like famous artists or people who could do some sort of comedy bits. You get like, you know, Ice Cube. You get these musicians in movies. Um, and then 2010s, Kevin Hart dominates just comedy. And a lot of the times it's the writers who make the movies more so than the directors. I can't tell you who like really d- directs a lot of these comedies. I could think of... Um, what's his his fucking name uh todd phillips with his hangover no todd phillips with his you know his hangover movies but like a lot of the trends from like 2000 all the way to now the way to sell a um a comedy movie is it like on who's directing it it's more or less from the guys or from the producers of these movies that you liked and we don't know their names. We don't know who they are. We just know that they worked on something else prior to that you probably liked. And that's kind of what comedies are now. Um, and a lot of the writers are just extras like on SNL or like from a tonight show. And then they help write in a script. I, I, so I think the comedy genre is just harder for pristine actors to like get into now because it's such a machine. Fair enough. Yeah. Well, well, let's, Let's go ahead and talk about Billy Wilder. He's the man of the hour. Uh, what do you think about this guy? Dude, he's so fucking brilliant. I can't understand how a guy in his time was, like, so, like, elite consistently. Like, like he's the human, embo- the human embodiment of, like, almost perfection when it comes to, like, his filmography. <laughs> like, um, there's, like, so many classics he made. It's some, like, back-to-back, like... This movie came out in 1959, so I'm like, aha. Then he did The Apartment, you know? Like, what? That's insane. Um, and then he would do things like, I don't know. When I think of Billy Wilder, I think of diff- I think of f- phrases in his filmography. Like, his early stuff, and it's probably due to the time, of course. I just love how he breaks his works down from um, a lot of, like, heightened, dramatic, somewhat romantic World War II or pre-World War II movies. And then he starts going into darker noir films in the fifth, early 50s and late 40s. And then he starts to go into more sex comedies. He kind of rides off in the sunset sort of that way. And it's like, that's so... I don't know if he did that on purpose or not, but I love it when I think of what kind of Billy Wilder movie I want to think. I think what kind of genre. And then I could just pick one out there. Um, I love I love a director who also helps in his writing. Uh, he writes basically every movie he directs. And I love his ensemble of actors constantly. Like, he has... A period of only Ray Milland in his movies, and then he's doing stuff with, um, you know, Jack Lemmon later on in his career, and then in between you get like, um, what's his name, Tommy Ewall and Burt Lancaster in um, Sunset Boulevard. It's like William there's so Holden. much star power. William Holden, excuse me, you get so much star power in his movies. So it's like, I don't know. It's just like when you think about like classic movies, like Billy Wilder stuff, it has to be up there. And uh, I just love the guy to death. Like, um, and he's a funny guy. I watch a lot of his uh, supplements. In his interviews, and I always think when I'm watching, 
how the hell is this guy managing this star power and writing these comedy gold like scenes in these movies and he's like this short cigar smoking guy you know who doesn't speak perfect english he just seems like a an interesting guy to talk to i just i can't comprehend it but it's just so interesting yeah, he's awesome. I'm I'm a huge, huge fan of him as well. Um, I mean, yeah, he is a great director and he's one of those directors that seems like any actor wants to work with. So he's got, mm-hmm. like you said, so much star power in his movies. Um, but my God, what a writer. Like, I love the stylization of his dialogue. His dialogue is always so <laughs> interesting from every scene, no matter what genre he's working in. Like, if he's going to make a noir film like Double Indemnity, he's going to have like the most stylistic dialogue, just hard boiled yeah. dialogue and narration you've ever heard in your life. And if he makes um, a comedy, just you're going to it's going to be laugh a minute. You're going to have so many great lines in there. But like like he does make movies that are so entertaining, but they're also really, really smart. And they often have some at least something to say. Um, which I which I definitely appreciate. And there's always like a little hint of, well, sometimes not a little, there's always some bit of darkness or cynicism, no matter what genre he's mm-hmm. working in. I mean, he can have a really pitch black, dark movie like Ace in the Hole. But then also, yeah. you know, he makes one of the greatest romantic comedies of all time with The Apartment. Uh, and The Apartment is a sad and cynical movie in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Like it's not just, funny even though it is funny it's got some great laughs in there um he's a really great genre blender like you're you're often not going to go to a billy wilder movie and just get one thing like you can get a dark movie like double indemnity but it's still going to be funny at times um and you can get a light frothy movie but it's still going to have pretty dark moments um i like his his ability to to blend genres for sure and the movie we're talking about today is a really good example of that i think yeah, I to me it's just all about the star power. Like I I never would think, you know, somebody's capable of having Jack Lemmon, Tony Curtis, and Marilyn Monroe all in a movie together. And like it just he has a way with making such subtly sexy movies. Like even when they're like you you know, you're just watching like um uh, uh I'm thinking for a sec, uh like the Lost Weekend, you know, Raymond Land's an attractive guy and he's this horrible guy. But the way he interacts with some of the actresses in the movie, um, like, like Jane Wyman, I'm like, whew, like that's a good looking couple right there. Like the guy sucks, but that's a good looking couple. Um, I'm thinking like, have you seen um, Foreign Affair? Oh, no, I haven't. Which one is that? Uh, Marlene Diedrich. Um, I forget the actor. Something, not Dreg Gregory Peck. Um, I have it here. Whoops. John Lund, Marlene Diedrich, and Jean uh, Jean Arthur. Um, John Lund is like this, like this, like like eye rolling sleazebag at times. And uh, the way he interacts with Marlene Diedrich, um, and they make Jane Arthur try not to look attractive, unattract. They make her try to look unattractive, but it's like, come on, like seriously, like we're gonna do that. Um, and it's just like there's moments when he's like playing in between the two, but at the same time, I can't get my eyes off like how attractive the people on screen are together like there's this subtle like sensuality and he does that with a lot of his movies um and that takes talent i think and you have to get the right actors for it too you know um there's probably a reason he had jack lemon in a lot of his later roles because there's some comedy in there and uh you you need a good guy in some of those movies and you know jack lemon's that guy uh i don't know you don't i i can't imagine or can't, I can't think of like how it was being on set and talking to these people and, you know, coaching them. 
I think that's an underrated quality of directors is like, you know, getting them to listen to you, especially with today's star power. But then, too, they were like probably studio actors on a contract, probably like through a studio. Some of them probably. Yeah. I'm really glad that you, though, made your first point there um, and called out how good he is with sex appeal. Somebody had to say it. Um, and, and that's the thing, like, I don't, I don't want this to be the podcast where we just like, man, movies today sure suck. Cause I don't think that that's not what I mean, but it does seem like nowadays you either have a ton of sex scenes and nudity and such, or more often you have really, really chaste squeaky clean movies. Um, and Billy Wilder kind of rides that line where they're <laughs> not like, it's not sleaze, no, but he, no, but they're sexy. Like he makes a lot of really sexy movies like double indemnity and, and like this um and he's really 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 good at that and i do think that's a skill because simply showing people make out or something is not inherently sexy like you need a good director who knows how to deliver it and and billy wilder is that guy um let's go ahead and dive into the movie at hand i'm gonna be talking about some like it hot from 1959 and this is of course directed by billy wilder Not since Scarface, so much action. Not since the Marx Brothers, so much comedy. Not since the seven-year itch, so much Maryland. The best picture this year will also be the funniest. Good night, sugar. Good night, honey. There's one thing sure, boy never met girl like this before. You've never laughed more at sex, or a picture about it. You stay here as long as you like. Jack may have beaten Tony to the sugar, but not for long. You're not giving yourself a chance. Don't fight it. Marilyn sing the fabulous songs of the Roaring Twenties on the United Artists soundtrack album. Wild, lost control, running wild, mighty bold, feeling gay, reckless too, carefree mind all the time, never blue, always going, don't know where, always showing, I don't care, don't love nobody. It's not worthwhile All alone Running wild Two musicians witness a mob hit and struggle to find a way out of the city before they are found by the gangsters. Their only opportunity is to join an all-girl band as they leave on a tour. To make their getaway, they must first disguise themselves as women, then keep their identity secret and deal with the problems this brings, such as an attractive bandmate and a very determined suitor. Okay, so some like it hot. Chris, do you remember when you first discovered this movie and uh, and what do you think of it? Yeah, I was so late to the party on this movie. I only knew about it based on like its iconicness. 
but I had no point of reference for them. So when I bought the movie um, on Criterion, I watched it, and it was first of all that transfer is beautiful. I've watched a few other like non like Criterion um, Billy Wilder transfer films. That Criterion is actually like immaculate. Like it's a clean reel. It's it's looks really good. Um, it's such an easy watch for a two hour movie. Like it's it it flies by, and uh, I don't know. It's one of those. It's one of the few movies where after I watched it the first time, I watched it like after. Like I like the credits rolled and everything. I was just kind of sick in it, and I just watched the movie again right after. I rarely ever <laughs> That's do awesome. that. Um, but the movie is easy. Like I've watched it. I think I watched it for the first time either last year or the year before. And I watched it like five times since then. <laughs> like it's, it's such an easy watch movie. Yeah, man, it is enormously fun. It's absolutely one of my top favorite, um, Billy Wilder movies. It's one of his, like I, I said, like he makes a lot of comedies, but it's one of the most overtly laugh a minute, um, comedies yes. that he's made. And I love that. It's very, very funny. It has actors doing a great job being comedic. But um, but it's more than that. There's like so much to this movie. I mean, first of all, it's a little bit of a gangster spoof, like an old gangster spoof, which mm-hmm. I appreciate. And the movie's in black and white, even though a lot of, you know, higher level movies like this at this time were being made in color. Um, in fact, I heard it was in Marilyn Monroe's contract that the movie would be in color. Apparently, the reason why they shot it in black and white is they thought Tony Curtis and Jack Lemmon's makeup looked too, quote, ghoulish in color, and they thought it looked better <laughs> and more subtle in black and white. Um, and, you know, maybe that was the case. I don't know. But I think it was a great idea to make it black and white because it feels more like an mm-hmm. old gangster movie. And yeah. and I like that they cast, like, actual actors who used to be in those gangster movies in this as the gangsters and cops and such. Like, George Raft is the main gangster and Pat O'Brien as the cop. Because, like, they could have cast comedians to sort of be, like, spoof versions of these characters. But instead, they have all the gangster and cop stuff feels real. Um, and then you've just got these goofy mm-hmm. comedians in the middle of it. And I think that contrast works really, really well. Yeah. I love Pat O'Brien in this movie. <laughs> he's, I do just too. A la- he's such a laugh riot. Even when he's like just delivering lines, it's funny. Like, uh, like at near the end when he's like, my compliments to the chef. Now, nobody's going to leave here until I get that ingredient. And <laughs> just like locking people <laughs> up in, in handcuffs. Like I, I love that aspect. Also really really love the introduction to Tony Curtis and Jack Lemmon with Pat O'Brien um, when they're just band members. I think that scene is just so delightful with the girls dancing and the gangsters coming in and then you just kind of pan in to the band and then you side, you, you side to them just kind of off center and they're just having a good time and then they're talking about what they're going to spend their paychecks. I think that's such a good introduction to the characters. It makes me love them so much and I love their banter. I just, it's just like really, really like the talk about a movie that just sucks you in right off the bat. It takes place in the prohibition time. I mean, that's always going to be fun. And it starts off with a, with a, with a shootout at the very beginning, which I mean, for a, for a comedy movie, you think like, wow, like this is heavy hitting stuff right off the bat. Yeah. We mentioned that like there are dark moments in Billy Wilder movies. Um, the inciting incident of this film is a, it's not even just a shootout. It's a massacre. Like mm-hmm. all these guys lined up and uh, and the gangsters just gun them all down. It's pretty bleak. And, and and that's, you know, goes back to what we're saying about Billy Wilder blending genres very well. Um, but yeah, I love the speakeasy season, scene too. Um, 
love a movie that takes place in the 1920s that has a speakeasy i mean and and this movie's full of really good jazz music which also adds to just the fun atmosphere <laughs> of it let's go ahead and talk about these main actors though let, let me ask you this because i think this is a tough question which actor do you think is the mvp of this movie oh i it, it's jack lemon for me like i love jack lemon like when we were watching it um charlie and i again on rewatch I just kept I felt embarrassed because I kept gushing about Jack Lemon. I, I think the way he portrays um Daphne as a as a woman and then how he is as a as a man dressed up in the movie too. He's just comedy gold. He's just funny as hell. And he's kind of a sweetheart in a way too. Um he just he's the MVP for me. And I think it's also to do with the fact that I love I love the apartment and he's a star in that movie too. But it just it's just yeah, he's the he's that for me. He's great. He's so he's such a good actor because he could do so many different things i mean the thing that i will always think of him first is the apartment um mm-hmm. but the apartment as great as he is in it it doesn't really show off everything that he's capable of because he can no. be that sort of sweet buttoned up nice guy like he is in the apartment but he can do so much more like um i recently watched this movie called the great race which is from the early uh-huh. 60s it's also jack lemon and tony curtis um oh. and uh and i swear Jim Carrey in those Sonic movies is just doing an impersonation of Jack Lemmon in The Great Race. Like, he's this super over-the-top, <laughs> literal mustache-twirling villain, and he he acts exactly like... What's the character in the Sonic movie? Uh, Dr. Uh, Robotnik okay, or Dr. Okay, like he's Eggman. exactly like Dr. Robotnik. He's the super villain, and uh, Jack <laughs> Lemmon is amazing in it. And he's, he's awesome in this movie. Um, I watched an interview with him right before coming on here this was on the criterion disc and he says that uh the the man who was hired th- there's a man i can't remember his name but he was the foremost female impersonator in the world at the time that they made this and he was hired to teach jack lemon and tony curtis how to act mm-hmm. like women and he was yeah. very frustrated with jack lemon because he thought tony curtis was great at it and jack lemon was terrible but jack lemon thought that this, his character jerry should not be that good at this and like yep, he should be yep. just good enough to be believable enough but not great and, <laughs> and i think that was a great choice because i do think tony curtis is better at it um even though jack lemon is the one who gets much more into into the whole thing <laughs> pretending to be a woman he's the one who gets much more invested in it yeah, and I love the subtle moment. I don't know if he does it on purpose, but I love when Billy Wilder puts in the script for parts for uh, Tony Curtis to one at one point be like a female, and then all of a sudden just grab Jack Lemmon and be like, "Hey, remember?" Like at a deep voice, like the yeah. contrast is so comedy. There, he's like, "Oh, you don't say." And then he like grabs him and says, "Like you're a girl, remember?" And I'm like, "Holy <laughs> shit!" Like if I was a girl walking by, I'm like what the hell is that? Um, I I, I think. I I think Tony Curtis's character is more funny when he dresses up as a millionaire to Marilyn Monroe's character than he is when he's a girl. Because when he's a girl, he's kind of like the anchor keeping Jack Lemmon, you know, away from, you know, <laughs> like <laughs> like the scene when they're the the streetcar or the train, and he's like, maybe it'll be a surprise party, you know. <laughs> and then he has all the girls. <laughs> like that scene is great, but I just love when Tony Curtis is more or less dressed up as a millionaire making jokes the shell oil company banter was hilarious and genius all at the same time <laughs> uh I it's totally just agree. it's one of those 
it's just one of those rare movies where I can think about like frame for frame what scene comes next, and it's just like ah, I can't wait for this scene to go up. And we haven't even talked about Marilyn Monroe yet either, who um I think when I the interview with um Billy Wilder on that disc, he was talking about how he had to be really like careful with Marilyn Monroe on this set because she was recovering from uh, like a court case or something. She was had some bad publicity. And then she's in this movie, she's probably having the time of her life. And part of that watching this movie the joy is i think all these actors are having the time of her their lives like when i see her get on the ukulele for the first time and start shaking and dancing when they're practicing and you just see like jack lemon and tony curtis kind of watching and ooh and an eye i i think they're just having a good ass time and that just makes me love the movie more would you classify yourself as a big marilyn monroe fan I, I I do. I think she's really attractive, and I think she's really talented in the movies I do watch her. I'm not like a Marilyn Monroe purist. I haven't watched all her movies. Like I've seen, um, obviously Jump for Blondes, this, and um, the Seven Year Itch, and I think she's phenomenal in all three of those movies. Um, I don't know if she was in much else. I think she was, but I, that's all I've seen her in. And every time I've seen her, I really like it. Um, those are definitely three of her bigger roles for sure. Cause one thing that's surprising about her career is she had small roles in a lot of movies mm-hmm. and she became so iconic that a lot of times she's now put front and center on the DVD or Blu-ray covers for yeah. a lot of movies in which she's in them for like 10 minutes or so that pops up a lot. Um, I don't. I don't think I would classify myself as a big Marilyn Monroe fan, Um, even though I do think she's good in several movies. I don't know that I'm that into her, like, breathy, ditzy shtick that she does a lot. I mean, I recognize that she's very iconic and everything. Um, I don't, I don't know. I don't find her to be great in a lot of movies, but I do think she's great in this movie. In fact, I think this is by far the best role she's ever done. And there's, like, a level of confidence to how she delivers the dialogue in this movie that i don't feel like is present in a lot of her other movies where she just feels a little more i don't know just not quite all there not quite all present but she really is here which is funny because learning about the making of this movie um apparently she was fairly difficult to work with because she was late a lot which is kind of an iconic part of her career that's one thing she's known for is being chronically late um and she would take like 30 to 40 takes just to get a line out and (laughs) jack lemon was talking about this in an interview that i watched and he was very very generous about it and he said that like oh it really bothered billy wilder and tony curtis but it didn't really bother him and he said that it wasn't her like being careless or anything that like she would just take a long time to psych herself up to feel comfortable enough to actually be able to pull off each scene and she would just feel like each line delivery was not quite right and they just have to do it over and over and over again and i don't know i don't really know what the truth is but um the result is on the screen like whatever she needed to do to get this right she gets it right and and she's very confident in the role um she's very good she's very funny she's great in the musical numbers i love a non-musical that pauses for like a musical number and when the band Mm -hmm. plays a song and she's singing (laughs) that's always great so i think this is the best Marilyn Monroe for me yeah you get the complete pack like she she she's like comic she's kind of naive and then she has really good dramatic moments as well like she's in this one movie I've also she's been in um there's no business like show business that she's barely in I didn't care for her in that one that too much um she's also in um all about all about Eve as well in a small role there with Addison oh that's Um, right 
And yeah, like this performance is kind of the accumulation of the things like I've at least liked about her in her movies. Um, and she does it almost like I didn't know about the thir- the 30 takes, but I mean, you have to think someone with that kind of like slot, like spotlight who's constantly in tabloids, whether because of her own or because somebody puts her in those. Um, and then being in performing in with like, you know, someone like Billy Wilder, which she's already done before, but still, I mean, it's crazy to think like, you know, even these people who are in the limelight, like they get nervous. They, they're, they're you know, they're self-conscious about how they deliver things. I think it, it's really cool to know that these actors were also like, you know, normal people who had these same kind of like paranoias and like these self stresses, you know? So that's, that's interesting. Yeah. But let, let me talk a little bit about Tony Curtis. Um, I think for me, he's my MVP of the movie because he has uh-huh. to play three parts pretty much he's himself yeah he's josephine and he's the millionaire and um i I think he does all three brilliantly i love that him and jack lemon don't really have a set straight man comedy man really um i mean Mm -hmm. tony curtis is definitely the cool one and jack lemon is the goofy one um but i feel like they kind of switch off on who the straight man is like in the beginning tony curtis is like the crazy one and wants to do all this stuff and jack lemon's like oh come on he's always trying to pull him back a little bit um but then once Mm -hmm. they once they impersonate women uh jack lemon becomes the crazy one and then tony curtis is the straight man trying to hold things together uh, and then I agree with you. He is at his funniest when he's the millionaire. I love the Cary Grant impersonation that he does. Yeah. <laughs> that was something I totally forgot about. And then when I'm rewatching it before yeah. this podcast, like that just cracked me up. It's like a perfect <laughs> <laughs> Cary Grant voice. Mm. Um, and it is funny that I feel like Billy Wilder has a thing because I've seen it in two movies now. He has a thing about thinking that impotence is like a turn on for women. And I don't know if that's true, but it's both in this movie and in the movie he made right after the apartment, Irma, Delu- Irma LaDuce, um, where a man mm-hmm. pretends to be impotent so that a woman can then really like put in the effort to try to get his dick hard. Uh, it sort of like turns sex into it, like a it, challenge or something like that. And and it, Tony Curtis does. It works um, so well. You'd have no idea. <laughs> uh, but... <laughs> That is fun. I, I I did notice that this time around. Like that's like I kept thinking is like is he is he kind of a slime for that or is he just really smart to like do that? But at the same time, uh, <laughs> I love the it's like a cat and mouse kind of game that they're playing because like I mean the things he's saying. Cause, like, I went to psychiatrists. I had like the bubble baths and like the aromas and everything. I'm like oh my god. Like seriously. Like who's gonna buy? He's talking about how his parents <laughs> like hired all these hot women to turn him on. <laughs> So I even think like this, like even to add to more to it, he writes the he drives uh, Marilyn Monroe's character to the yacht on the boat backwards. And I just love his <laughs> constant excuses for why he's doing things d- stupid. Like he opens a closet, like, like, look right here. Pl- plenty of closet space. Like, he's like, oh, yeah, the staff is gone on Thursdays. I'm on my own here. Uh, just it's like, a new experimental model. <laughs> Uh, how are stocks right now up 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 i'm like uh it's 1929 they're not going up oh, guys. right i didn't even think about that it's 1929 <laughs> that's like i just i recently watched this movie um splendor in the grass it's like a, a southern melodrama with natalie wood it was made in the early 1960s 
but it takes place in 1929. And like Natalie Wood's parents, the whole movie are talking about how like, man, we've got these stocks and they just keep going up, but we're holding out on selling them. So I spend the whole movie like sell those stocks <laughs> as soon as possible. Uh, I told Charlie on rewatch um, for this movie because I, I love like I said, I love him as this millionaire um i like when the kid is not listening to his mom and he just hits it with a newspaper and he says hey you heard your mom get out of here and i'm like i can't wait to be that guy at a beach someday just like hitting a kid and something listen to your mother and scram you gotta tell call him junior too scram junior <laughs> like i was like imagine like some random guy just trying to parent you for a second like what the I also love that he wears, like, the most stereotypical millionaire outfit, which is a sailor hat and an ascot. I think it's crazy that that's Beanstalk's clothes. Like, where does Beanstalk get off thinking he's going to wear that kind of drip at this thing? Wait, who's Beanstalk? She's, uh, he's the manager for the girl's band. The guy with the, the monocle glasses. Oh, that's where he got the clothes from? Oh, I, did, I totally missed that. Yeah, because uh, Beanstalk goes like, has anybody seen my luggage when they get right to the floor? He's like, someone stole my luggage, and then someone lost an <laughs> instrument or something. And it's because Jack Lemmon stole it, or not Jack, uh, Tony Curtis stole it. I'm like, where did, like, I get, like, Beanstalk was looking to drip out. Like, I was like, he's wearing, like, the sailor hat. He has, like, the 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 the, the coat with it, like a captain's coat. I was like, he's looking <laughs> good. How does that guy have clothes that fit Tony Curtis? You know, <laughs> I, I don't know. And also, like, how does he figure out first time being at this hotel, scaling it up and down constantly to get to the beach and, and back up to his room? <laughs> like, I, I don't know. I, I, yeah, I think that just goes to like the genius of Billy Wilder, like like these over the top things that these characters do in like a real life scenario. It's just like really funny because like some part of it might be true, you know? Sure. Yeah. Another thing that I love about this movie is um, Jerry, a.k.a. Daphne. And Osgood's relationship is so great oh my God. and so funny um, because and I think so it, it's hilarious that it's funny, first of all, that Osgood completely believes that Jerry is a woman and is super into him. Um, but then Jerry then also falls for Osgood. And and I think in, if you watch this in 1959, that just comes across as hilarious. But now it like it seems sweet. Like, it seems it like now you just watch it and you're like, oh, OK, Jerry is bisexual and uh, and they're just in love and that's adorable. Um, and their relationship is like cute and hilarious. And the ending is amazing. And it's amazing that this got made in 1959 because Osgood just straight up says like, oh, I don't care. You're a man. We'll still be together. And that is I love yeah. it. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, their whole like night is really entertaining. The salsa dancing or or Cuban, I don't know what type yeah. of dance they're doing, but um, I just love how invested they both are in that movie. I think Osgood's character is probably the funniest in the whole movie. You might be just right every about time that. he's like, I, he's like, "Mummy said I've been a bad boy," you know, he's <laughs> <laughs> pinching her, pinching Jack Lemon in the in the elevator. He is a dirty also, old the, man. Like we gotta, we do yeah. have to say that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Also, the bellhop in that ho- in that hotel is hilarious too. Like when he's hitting on G- Tony Curtis, like "What's up, doll?" Like, don't oh, worry. Oh, that guy's so obnoxious. I, g- <laughs> I get off at eight. Make sure your girl your girlfriend's out of the apartment when I come in. And he comes doing like this, fixing his jacket, and he's like five two. <laughs> like, and he's like, I don't know. I just think that's a really hilarious little part of the movie. Uh, I think with this movie what it what it tries to do is i i think because billy wilder does it a lot in his filmography 
because it, it goes back to Osgood and uh, Jack Lemmon's character is that Billy Wilder is very progressive with a lot of his movies at the time. They're kind of like things you don't talk about behind only talk about behind closed doors, but he brings them to the forefront. We talk about the cynicism. He does a lot of satire um, about current events that are happening. And I think a lot of it has to do with his upbringing, being an immigrant in the U S and during the Nazi regime. And I, I, he does that again in this movie, even though it's a comedy, like he talks about the different types of relationships, the way women are portrayed in the lens of a man. Now let's put a man in the lens of a woman and how men are treating them. Um, and kind of seeing like the hardships women have to bear during this time in 1959. Um, I think it, that's a really good message for guys to kind of watch this movie and laugh about, but also think like, Oh my God, these guys are talking about Osgood being a dirty old man. So I think, Oh, he's just being an old guy. That's just what old guy, rich old guys do. It's like, well, you know, it's kind of questionable at times. Um, and I think some like a hot really gets that message across really well. And uh, I think that only gets better. Like you, you think about something like the last weekend, it's about alcoholism in 1945. You're talking about that stuff. That's crazy. Um, and then in the apartment, you're talking about infidelity and in, in the workplace, same thing in the seven year itch. Um, and this movie kind of does that same thing. And I, I think Billy Wilder, I don't know if he meant to do that completely, but when I first watched this movie and every time I think about it, it's like, he's so I don't, genius for at least incorporating that aspect in this movie that has so many other different themes going on. Yeah. And that goes back to what we said at the beginning where like he makes fun, funny movies, but he often has something to say too. And, and how this movie, it doesn't just put men in women's clothing and say, ha ha, isn't that hilarious? Mm -hmm. Um, the guys actually learn like what it's like to be a woman and they learn that in the ways that men are terrible and uh and as, yeah you're right like he is a pretty he's often a pretty progressive filmmaker for his time and a lot of times he got away with being more progressive because either the Hayes code got let him get away with certain stuff or in the case of this movie um this movie was made without the approval of the Hayes code they just said screw them and they just made the movie anyway uh oh. which i think is awesome and, and and this movie is considered one of the movies that helped dismantle the Hayes code where they one of the big movies that said like well no we don't care about them and then people started caring about the Hayes code less and less because um, mm -hmm. it's definitely got a movie that has a lot of stuff that you wouldn't expect in a 1950s black and white flick um but that's because, like, they kind of just did what they wanted. And the movie is all the better for it, for sure. So this is unhinged Wilder, that, basically. Hell yeah, dude. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it, the fact this movie came in 1959, I think it's probably his best movie from that decade. Because you get this, you get Seven Year Itch, and then you also get um, Sunset Boulevard. I think Some Like a Hot still might be the best from that decade for him. I think so. I think the only Billy Wilder movie I like better than Some Like It Hot is The Apartment. Apartment. Maybe then, Double Indemnity, which is the 40s, but I think I think Some Like It Hot would be my number two. Again, he makes The Apartment right after this movie, too. It's like, yeah. like dude, take it easy. Like, <laughs> like, share some of the awards for other people. Like, um, and... I don't know. I, I, I like the interview on the disc for Some Like a Hot when he's talking. I forget who the the night reporter he's talking to, but he has like this weird aurora of like legendary status while at like his peak time still. And it's like, man, I wonder how that must have felt like being this guy who's writing gold after gold after gold um, in cinema. And like you just kind of crank him out like it's nothing almost at that point. I want to know like what that felt like. Um, 
because he could have stopped. He could have just made like, um, like the Lost Weekend, and he could have made a Foreign Affair, and then the Sunset Boulevard in that four year span, and he could have been done, and he would have been probably one of the best still. And then he just keeps going and keeps going and keeps going. Um, I haven't watched a lot of his later sixties and seventies movies, so um, I can't really attest to that, but. I really want to know what that would have felt like, you know? And then we talk about how the actors were um, on the sets working with, you know, Billy Wilder. I think that's why Tony Curtis wanted to do this movie in the interview he had where he was like, Billy Wilder kind of pitched him the script and he was like, I don't care. It's working with Billy Wilder. I'm going to do it. That must have been really nice, you know, just to be able to get who you kind of wanted because of your status. Yeah. Although I did read that Frank Sinatra was Billy Wilder's first choice for Jerry. But mm-hmm. Jared, mm-hmm. but Frank Sinatra didn't even show up to the audition. You see, this is why I'm not a Sinatra guy. Like, where does he get <laughs> off on that? Because he makes one or two hits and that's it? I can't. Yeah, I don't think Sinatra would dress up in women's clothing. I really don't think he would. And, like, all the better for it because Jack Lemmon, way better for the role. Right. And, yeah, this, the other thing is, like, was Frank Sinatra, like, that big of an actor up up to this point? I'm not very familiar with his uh, filmography. Uh, he won an Oscar... Or, or did was he just nominated? I think he won for From Here to Eternity, which is 1953. And then 1955, like we just talked about in the last episode, he makes Guys and Dolls and The Tender Trap. Um, so yeah, I would say he was he was pretty big at this point. Mm, man. And he was still having a singing career with all that too, huh? A little bit of a singing career. Yeah, a little something. <laughs> Chris, let me ask, have you ever dressed in drag? Uh, a couple times, yeah. Interesting for what? Yeah. So in high school, <laughs> the senior class, like basically, like for homecoming week, one of the events were the girls play football. Okay. And, and then the guys are the cheerleaders because, oh, like, for the yeah. homecoming game, it's behind a the the guys football team playing against whoever before uh, homecoming dance. And uh, so, like, that Thursday night, it was, like, I think it was called Power Pop Football, which I don't understand why that was called. But the women, the different age groups would play football against each other in full contact and stuff. So we would, as guys, dress up in drag as the as the uh, cheerleaders. And we would do, like, a, a, a whole number. And then we would do, like, our own cheers and stuff. So I was one of the lucky few that was chosen to do that. Um, so maybe I was popular than I think I was in high school. And then growing <laughs> up, I did dress up with my sister. I don't know. Like, it, you don't see them too much now. But, like, girls, like, you could buy, like, those Disney princess get-ups all the time. Uh, my sister had those. So I would dress up with her and have, like, tea parties with her. And I kind of liked it. So that's why I drink a lot of tea. I haven't mustered up dressing up in a dress in public yet, though. <laughs> okay. I had to think about this. I don't think I have. I did have to think about it because, like, I grew up doing theater and stuff, but I don't think that ever came up. I've worn tights just because I played a man in, like, the 1700s in a play. Um, I've worn my fair share of makeup and nail polish, but I don't think I've ever worn women's clothing. So there you go. Yeah, with those legs, man, who's going to believe that? That's a good point. (laughs) That's a good point. (laughs) I just love how, like physically built tony curtis is and they squeeze him into women's like clothes i'm like like that broad shouldered guy like they're gonna believe that <laughs> the costume designer said told marilyn monroe that tony curtis had a better butt than she did and then she held up her boobs and said yeah well he doesn't have tits like these <laughs> <laughs> you know i don't know where where uh i was oh so i was i think it was another billy Wilder movie i i think it was uh 
in one of his earlier ones i can't remember uh, oh double indemnity and uh barbara stanwick this sounds weird but apparently it was the fashion trend of that time in the 40s and 50s where women wore bras with like pointed ends and to oh, yeah. me that looks uncomfortable and i never understood that yeah, anytime I watch a movie from that period with Stephanie, she always calls it out about how weird it is. And she thinks it looks like, well, it's like bringing extra attention to the boobs, which she finds yeah. very surprising for like a more sexually repressed culture than it was back then. Um, mm -hmm. At least that we think it was back then. Um, so yeah, it's it was a weird style for sure. Yeah, so now I have like, like I'm when I watch these movies, like with Marilyn Monroe and stuff like that, they talk about her physique and stuff. I'm like, well, maybe there was those pointed bras they were wearing. Not that I'm looking, but I'm curious. Like, why was that the fashion trend then? You know, it's kind of well, like why do? You... You... Oh, go ahead. I was gonna say I don't know if you noticed, and I'm not saying I was looking, but Marilyn Monroe is definitely not wearing a bra for part of this movie. You can definitely oh. tell. <laughs> I was too busy looking at that chest of Jerry's in the movie. That's understandable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's kind of like the like the fashion trend then was like, why was every guy wearing a suit and tie? Like, I don't get that. Like, I still don't. It's like, like when I'm watching a seven-year itch and it's like everyone's hot and sweaty. I'm like, put a short sleeve short shirt on, you know, don't wear a tie to work. <laughs> like, I don't know. Yeah. Um, I was just re-watching Last Night in Soho last night. And, you know, the, the main character... Um, Eloise. Eloise, yeah. She's like buying 1960s vintage clothes and loving it and everything. And I said to Steph, I was like, you know, if you're a girl, you can like buy clothes from that era and feel all cool and retro. But if you're a guy, sure. that just means you're buying a suit. That's it. It's pretty boring. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of weird. Like that was such a normal thing. And now we kind of reserve it for special occasions now. Um, well, but, yeah, ties I just... suck. I hate ties. Yeah, and they button them all the way up, or they had those high collar, like the gangsters, yeah. like in the in some like a hot, like the gangsters are wearing like. That's what another thing I was wondering: why were they wearing like stuff that covered their shoes? Like they have like a little elastic band that goes underneath the shoe and it covers the top of it. Um, I, don't I don't understand know about that, that trend. Yeah, I don't understand that one either. Um, it's kind of like Scorsese in his uh, like in Goodfellas especially where all the gangsters are wearing those collared shirts but like the collar covers the, the, the tie knot um, I never understood that as a fashion trend either but I don't know teach your own I guess yeah no I just want a sailor hat and an ascot like Tony Curtis's <laughs> movie so everyone will assume I'm a millionaire right? like that would look good <laughs> I, I, I did you notice like that there because it's 1929 so you know, it's it's nearing the the closing to the beginning of the Great Depression, but it's still the swinging twenties. They're musicians, but they're struggling for money. And I'm wondering, did musicians just not pay well? And the insult to injury is like, if you want to get paid, you have to drive to Urbana or or Champagne. And I'm away. like, yeah, I'm like, what kind of freaking deal is that? Like that, like that's such a waste. <laughs> and you would think musicians got paid a lot back then, like they're like the entertainment. Dude, musicians are always struggling. Struggling musician. That's the stereotype. You don't get into that to get rich. And they seem so good at it. Saxophone, play saxophone players are so sexy, right? That's what that's what Marilyn Monroe says. Should be getting right, a lot more money. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wonder if like <laughs> Billy was just kind of saying, like, you know, maybe we should throw a couple more nickels and dimes at these uh, musicians in the industry. I don't know. <laughs> well, it's like it's a rare profession where you would have to impersonate a woman to like get a certain job in it. Cause like in the 1920s, generally women aren't doing very many jobs, but there could be an all girls band. 
Oh, yeah, that's probably true. Yeah. I don't know. Every time I watch this movie, I always get a little teary-eyed when they kill Toothpick Charlie. <laughs> a lot of death in this movie. A lot of people get shot, like we said before. Yeah. Does your heart sink a little when they let go of the uh, the gas pump and they let the gas just keep draining out of the hose? I'm like, no, save that oil. That stuff is like 315 a gallon now. <laughs> yeah, they're like the little things in movies. I'm like, oh, no, pick it up, please. <laughs> All right, man. Anything else you want to say about Some Like It Hot before we move on to some recommendations? Yeah, it's really hot. It is. I love how she's talking about jazz with that. It's like, yeah, jazz is kind of hot, isn't it? Absolutely, man. Well, I suppose something like it hot, but I prefer classical music. <laughs> I didn't know I could do a Cary Grant until now. I think I just found that out. Was pretty, that was pretty good. <laughs> and it's funny because Tony Curtis is in a movie with Cary Grant called uh, Operation Peacock Pe- Petticoat. That's a pretty good movie. Have you seen that? I actually have I haven't seen that movie, but it was one of I, I, in my office at work. I have um, a classic movie posters calendar, which is a different classic film poster for every month. And Operation Petticoat was one last year, but I still haven't actually watched the movie. Hmm. Yeah, I think it's on Tubi. I definitely recommend. It. I I enjoyed watching it. It's pretty funny. I don't doubt it with those two guys. Um, okay, well, let's go ahead and move into the cobwebs dusting portion of the show where Chris and I will be taking a couple of movies off the shelf connected by a person to some like it hot, dust them off and tell you why you should check them out. So, Chris, let me turn to you first. Uh, what's the first movie that you'd like to recommend for the listeners? Um, I would say only because I love the actor and it has to do with Billy Wilder. Um, I recently watched Arise My Love, which is a 19, I think it's 1940 film. Uh it's not directed by Billy Wilder, but it's screenwritten by him. And it stars a really younger, uh, a younger Ray Milland. And uh, I really recommend it. It's pre-World War II and it's kind of comic. And then it's also a little romantic at times too. Kind of like a taste of what Billy Wilder was going to do. If you want to start like without starting with like, you know, the major and the minor or um, uh, Five Graves to Cairo. And you want something kind of like his more romantic comedy type of things. I would recommend Arise My Love. Okay, nice. What's it about? So Ray Milland is a uh, he was fighting in the Spanish Civil War as a fighter jet pilot or like or not a fighter jet. Uh, He was just he was an Air Force man and he gets captured in Spain and he gets released by this news reporter who's trying to get like up close personal stories for her new for her news company in Europe. And they obviously fall in love and it has some, you know, some tension at times. And uh, and then they have to kind of navigate their careers and their love for each other while World War II has just started. And uh, one thing about Billy Wilder that's really interesting is his movies, when they involve something like Nazis, it's eerie because he shows like real footage. He sees these people like with the the swastikas and like making jokes about Hitler and stuff. And Arise My Love is kind of in that aspect. It's a little long at times, but it's a good starting point for uh, Billy Wilder and just like his like his main trope of actors he usually would work with. No, that sounds really interesting, man. Um, I saw, I saw, I looked it up, and I saw it was from 1940, and um, you know, that was the period where Billy Wilder was much more so a writer, as pre his directing. I know you, you just lent me a movie that. Oh wait, no, I don't think he wrote it. I think maybe Preston Sturgis wrote it. Easy Living with Ray Milland. Yeah, but okay. that movie ha- is directed by Mitchell Leisman, and Ray Milland is in both of the movies that Mitchell, Mitchell Leisman did with Easy Living and then Arise My Love, which I think is okay. fascinating that I think because obviously I love Ray Milland. He worked with Mitchell Leisman twice in the span of 
three to four years. And then he goes and works with a director named John Farrow, who did The Big Clock and Alias Nick Beale, I believe. And oh, then, okay. I just bought that Kino Lorber Blu-ray, but I haven't watched it yet. Yeah, which is post his Lost Weekend times. And then after that, he was working with um, Lewis Allen, um, who did The Uninvited. He did that with him. And then he also worked with him in So Evil My Love, which is another noir film. So oh. Ray Milan was like, was working with three different directors twice because he did The Lost Weekend and Major in the Minor with Billy Wilder. And I have to think it's because Arise My Love, where it all kind of started for him and Billy Wilder. Sure, yeah. This Mitchell Lyson, I see he also directed remember the night which is a christmas movie that preston sturgis wrote he was a lucky guy he got to direct scripts written by preston sturgis and billy wilder before they were big writer directors themselves interesting interesting. yeah this sounds good man i love the look of the poster is that like i'm just i'm honestly just guessing by looking at the poster is this a kino lorber blu-ray that you got it is i knew it 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 looks like a kino movie (laughs) (laughs) yeah dude i swear kino must have had a struck in a deal with like ray milan's foundation or something because they have so many ray milan movies out now which is great for me um but i've been uh, i've been wanting to get through a lot more of his filmography and kino's just i don't know kino's been kind of killing the game in the last year so i i gotta give him props for that they're great and they do like they put out a lot of movies that no one else is putting out and mm-hmm. and I love your love for Ray Milland. I know he's one of your favorite classic film actors, but he's not like a guy whose popularity has remained quite as much as, say, like Jimmy Stewart or Cary Grant no. or some of these guys. So uh, it, it's cool that Kino Lorber is keeping his filmography alive. You know, they're the ones if, if, if Criterion's not going to put these out, Kino's going to do it. Yeah. And, and, and I really do like that, that they do that. But I just think it's crazy that Billy Wilder's works, a lot of them are iconic. They don't have like special memoriam like releases. They have just like the standard Blu-rays put out or if unless Criterion has them or Arrow Academy at one point did. But you don't get too many like um, like really great like box sets or like you have to buy these things individually, which I think is crazy for Billy Wilder. That's true. That's true. Like you don't have like that giant Hitchcock box that there is, but right. for, for whatever reason, no classic film director is going to have the lasting power that Hitchcock has. Um, I'm not mm-hmm. entirely sure why I love Hitchcock, but I love a lot of other directors from this period, like just as much, if not more. Um, mm-hmm. But for some reason, yeah, Hitchcock is the guy when it comes to classic film. Nobody gets treated like he does. Mm-hmm. Okay, so... I'm going to talk about my first recommendation. Um, I actually, I filled a few of my Billy Wilder blind spots leading up to this podcast, which was fun because I've seen pretty much all of his like big ones, but he has a lot of also ran movies and and I checked out a few of those. So I've got a couple I want to talk about. Uh, The first one is my favorite that I watched leading up to this, which is his follow up to the apartment, Irma LaDuce from 1963. Um, This is a reteaming from the apartment of Jack Lemmon and Shirley MacLaine. And what it's about, it's apparently, uh, it's based on a musical and it's a rare case that it's based on a stage musical that it's not a musical. All the music got taken out of it, but it still almost feels like it looks and is directed like a musical. A lot of Billy Wilder movies are black and white. This is beautiful color. It is a big, bright, beautiful, stunning movie. I mean, it just, it's one of his best looking movies for sure. And it's got a wild plot. So essentially it takes place in France in a place where prostitution is technically illegal, but it is 
accepted and the law very much goes along with it but jack lemon is a brand new police officer a straight-laced police officer who comes into town and on his first day he figures out that there's all this prostitution going on so he conducts a raid of the of this hotel where all of these people hire sex workers um and he arrests everybody and the police commissioner is actually one of the people who gets arrested in this raid and uh throws a big stink and fires jack lemon immediately but in the course of all this jack lemon has a conversation with shirley mclean who's one of the most successful of the sex workers and she's beautiful and charming and cool and he instantly falls for her and she kind of falls for him too and she ends up helping him out now that he's fired and down on his luck and he ends up beating up her pimp and becomes her new pimp essentially um but he devises a scheme so that she doesn't have to be a prostitute anymore to keep her all to himself and even and the reason he has to devise a scheme for this is she doesn't want this. She wants to keep working. She doesn't. There's a there's a hilarious scene where she's like, you don't want the other girls to think I can't support my man. Right. Because uh, that's <laughs> just the culture that they live in. Um, and his scheme is like he impersonates a rich man and he works at night to earn the money to pay her with. And uh, it is a crazy, crazy bonkers movie and i did not even get into half of the crazy things that go on in this film it's two and a half hours which made me think twice about pressing play on it i'm like a two and a half hour comedy farce what's going on here never felt long to me never dragged i thought it was incredibly fun um jack lemon is hilarious in it because he gets to flex those like those uh the great race muscles that i talked about where he's impersonating this rich old guy and it's a over-the-top bonkers performance uh shirley mclean is incredibly cute and charming and this movie it's 1963 it might as well be a 70s movie like there doesn't appear to be any censorship going on whatsoever like it's very very frank about the sexuality uh which is interesting to watch so um it's just a big bright crazy movie i i i know it was like not near as acclaimed as the apartment was it was looked at as kind of a disappointment at the time but I really, really like it. It's not a disappointment for me. Um, it's bonkers. It's cynical. It's got a heavy dose of that Billy Wilder cynicism. And uh, I love it. So that's Irma LaDuce. Hmm. Interesting. I, I own that movie. I haven't watched it yet because of that runtime. It, it, oh, yeah. it is kind of daunting. <laughs> it's Which weird. Is weird cause, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's weird for this kind of genre for sure to be that long. But I didn't feel it. So maybe like split it up into a couple different nights if you want, but I would bet on the first watch, you probably won't be turning it off. Nice. Yeah. Sixties Billy Wilder is not something I dive too much into. And I have that. Um, I was watching one, two, three and that. You might like that one. It has James, an older James Cagney and it's a sin. Have you seen it? No, I really wanted to watch it leading up to this, but it's not streaming anywhere for any price. So you got to buy the Blu-ray uh. and I just, I didn't get around to it. Okay. Well, it has a Kino and it has a Eureka release and it's not too expensive. So next day I'll look out for it. But I've watched the first half hour and uh, I was really, really into it. James Cagney's hilarious. It's very much a, uh, it's very much Billy Wilder doing Stanley Kubrick's um, Dr. Strangelove in an odd way. And I really like it. It's really good so far. So I would definitely recommend that. Yeah, I want to check it out. It seems like it's one of his more acclaimed 60s movies because his most um acclaimed period does tend to be the 40s and 50s um Mm -hmm. and then 
into the 60s past the apartment it seems to be and past that it seems to be a lot more hit and miss although there's a lot of movies in there i haven't seen that i need to catch up on for sure so that's irma laduce chris what do you got for a second um since i i feel like everyone's kind of seen this movie but i get that vibe but it's a it's more of a musical end to it but i mean singing in the rain i think is like the one you should watch if you like this movie you get three protagonists all of them are very interesting you get some musical numbers um you kind of get that romance with the trio you know trying to wiggle in there and um i just like all the actors that movie and it's you know if you like the singing and some like it hot and you like the time period piece um you know, you get that with Singing in the Rain in like an early like filmmaking time. I that's like that's what I liked because I think when I first watched uh, Singing in the Rain, it was kind of like that for some like a hot for me where I watched it and I kind of wanted to watch it again. I watched in college um, when we were at Westminster. I didn't watch it right after it again, but I remember watching showing another. I think it was Sam Studer. I showed it to um, a couple nights after I watched it. I was like, I don't know if you've seen this, but you probably have. But you need to watch it again. So it was my excuse to watch it again. Um, so yeah, that's why I recommend to people who haven't seen that yet. Oh yeah. Singing in the rain is one of my favorite movies of all time. I, 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 for a long time, I said it was my favorite musical. Um, I'm not positive that's true or not. Cause I've seen a lot of amazing musicals since I've seen singing in the rain now, but, um, but it's certainly up there. It'll be a top five musical easily for sure. Um, I, I actually got to see the chance to see it in the theater once, one of the funniest movie theater experiences I've ever had. I was just dying laughing the entire time. It's it's even funnier than Some Like It Hot, I would say. Um, the mm-hmm. musical numbers are amazing. You're right that it relates to Some Like It Hot and that it's a period piece, for one thing. And it's got those three protagonists, the one girl and the two guys. And one of them's kind of the cooler one and one of them's the goofier one. Mm-hmm. Um, Gene Kelly, never better than in this movie. I don't think he's ever had a better musical number than the singing in the rain number. It's just one of the most beautiful things ever put on film. I mean, it's, you know, it's one of the most iconic things ever. It's like, it's like the Ruby slippers in the wizard of Oz. Like it's that level of iconic. And um, yeah, it's one of my favorite movies of all time. So I love that you recommended it. That's I've actually never talked about it on this podcast before. So there you go. Mm, Yeah. Well, you're welcome there. So, my next recommendation is um, this is going to be funny because this is a movie that before I've seen it, I have somewhat treated as a punchline and I have made fun of to you personally by sending you the poster and us laughing about how ridiculous it looks. But <laughs> then I watched it and it's it's actually a really good movie. Uh, so this is Love in the Afternoon from 1957. It's also oh. directed by billy wilder yeah <laughs> we have had a good laugh about the poster because the poster looks ridiculous because yeah. it is gary cooper <laughs> and audrey hepburn romance and gary cooper looks 80 years old and yeah. audrey hepburn looks 15 <laughs> mm-hmm. okay so this fits in like like this goes hand in hand with sabrina basically it's billy wilder's two audrey hepburn movies in which she falls in love with an old man i like sabrina I don't love it. A reason that I don't love it is I don't think Audrey Hepburn and Humphrey Bogart have any chemistry whatsoever. And I could yeah. not care less if they get together at the end of that movie, but it's, yeah. it's a, it's a funny movie and has a lot of good laughs and it's very well made as great actors. So um, there's a lot I do like about it, but love in the afternoon is the better version. Okay. Here's my case. First of all, the age difference is actually not as bad as in Sabrina. Um, 
The problem is Audrey Hepburn looks younger than she is, and Humphrey, uh, not Humphrey Bogart, Gary Cooper looks older than he is. Gary Cooper is actually younger than Humphrey Bogart, and Audrey Hepburn was older by the time she made this movie than when she was making Sabrina. So she was like about 30, and he was in his like late 50s. Big age difference for sure, but not quite as bad. Mm -hmm. And unlike Sabrina, I think this movie is actually about an age difference romance and about falling in love with an older man. Um, Whereas Sabrina just kind of ignores that and kind of pretends it's not happening. Yeah. Um, Which is one thing that I think doesn't work about that movie. Uh, What it's, what it's ultimately about is it's, it's got Maurice Chavier who I've talked about a few times because he was in a lot of early 1930s uh, Ernst Lubitsch movies, but uh, this is the late fifties. So he's an old man now. And it's weird hearing his voice come out of an old man. Um, But he (laughs) is a private detective in Paris and uh, basically what he does is expose infidelity. People hire them like, oh, trail my wife. I think she's cheating on me. Um, ah. It's yet another Billy Wilder movie that is obsessed with infidelity. Like so many of his movies are. Because it's funny, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> like I, will, I do wonder if Billy Wilder's wife uh, was was um, <laughs> suspicious of the fact that like, why do you keep making movies about infidelity like over and over again? But anyway, um, so he so some guy hires him to trail his wife he finds that the guy's wife is is indeed cheating on him with gary cooper who is this very rich american tycoon who likes traveling the world and philandering with as many women as possible and uh and it turns out that that husband is going to go murder gary cooper and maurice chavier is like well this is none of my business i'm not gonna interfere my job is done and audrey hepburn is his daughter and she's like oh no i'm gonna go stop this killing from happening so she sneaks into their hotel room and she says oh this guy's gonna kill you and that's basically their meet cube and from there they do start this romance for a while it's more audrey hepburn's just her side where she's in love with him and he's not so much although he's very flirty with her but he continues traveling around and um but they do end up having a relationship. She lies constantly about how much romantic and sexual experience she has that she doesn't have, which is where I think it gets into being about the idea of being in love with somebody who's much older and more experienced. And how do you go about that? It's just a really nice, pleasant movie that's really enjoyable to watch and the ending i think is killer i think it has a fantastic ending i think it blows sabrina's ending out of the water entirely um and i think it's really good so yeah i'm pro love in the afternoon i really like it all right all right maybe i'll have to see if i can watch because it's streaming on hbo max and i saw that again i was like i'm not gonna watch that um (laughs) it's weird that sabrina is oddly iconic but like i also it's not like high on my list of billy wilder movies you know no it's not for me either and i i think hepburn and cooper have way more chemistry than hepburn and bogart for sure Hmm. what's the other older um charade i haven't seen that but isn't that also having to deal with the older old younger audrey hepburn was constantly getting romantically paired with old men you got you got, you're right Cary grant and charade you got rex harrison and my fair lady which is ridiculous um yeah i don't know why she was always getting the old dudes it's very strange it's straight i think it's probably some of these producers are projecting themselves maybe (laughs) (laughs) you want to be a star don't you um you know when you're talking about like audrey hepburn it's the run with sabrina and then i love in the afternoon which i haven't seen um it reminds me 
One thing about movies I love when it comes into director's filmography when you dive into them is I like when directors pair themselves with reoccurring actors. So we talk about Ray Milland with early Billy Wilder and then you get the Jack Lemmon stuff later on and stuff. And then he has a few one-offs with big name actors like Gary Cooper now I'm finding out. And he did Humphrey Bogart and he had um, William Holden. But yeah, but then you think about – yeah, then you think about like the female actresses that he worked with more than one time. So like, you know, he's worked with Audrey Hepburn twice. He worked with Shirley MacLaine twice. She's worked with uh, Marilyn Monroe twice. It's like, you know, that's such – I don't know like how do you get to that point, but I think that's just so cool, you know? So not only do you think about the type of genres of Billy Wilder, but you got to think about what kind of actors and actresses you want to see paired up. Um, <laughs> and then you kind of have a movie for that essentially. Um, that's really cool. Um I kind of was piecing that together when I was rewatching some of these movies. Love in the Afternoon, I feel like I could get into a little bit more now that you're explaining it. More or less than lying to myself with Major and the Minor. (laughs) (laughs) I love Major and the Minor because Ray Milland and Ginger Rogers, but like it's a like when I was explaining it to Charlie because we were thinking about I was thinking about putting it on. Um, I I was explaining it to her what it's kind of about, and I'm like, you know what? I'm good. I don't I don't think we need to watch this one right now. Okay, if anyone isn't aware, tell people what Major and the Minor is about. So Major and the Minor is a 1942, I think, Billy Wilder movie. It's an early one of his. His first directorial, yeah. Yeah, it it has uh, Ray Milan and Ginger Rogers. Ginger Rogers is like uh, this um, beauticianist for men. I think she just goes and gives them haircuts in the big city. And she's constantly tired of them harassing her and trying to coax her into cheating um, with them. So what she does is she tries to go on a on a train to get out of town and she can't afford a ticket. So she disguises herself as a young little girl so she can pay for a child's fare and she gets away with it. And then she somehow gets in the cabbage or the cabin of Raymond Lance character, who is like a, a all boys school general principal of sorts. And he takes her as a child and kind of be becomes her symbiotic like uncle or something of sorts. But he can't really figure out if she's actually a kid or not because he has like these romantic feelings for her while she's pretending to be this kid (laughs) at this (laughs) all-boys school and he starts to and he's already engaged and the girl who's engaged to him is suspecting ginger rogers character um and then at the end they fall in love but uh after he finds out thank god that she's not a minor she's like surprise (laughs) i'm of legal age and he's like yes he's like hot damn like let me get in um (laughs) It just it's just weird. It just, it's just super it's, it's, weird. It's weird, but like I like the movie. It's kind of like how Mitch probably feels with Joker. You know, it's weird. <laughs> I don't like to say it out loud, but you know, I like the movie. Yeah, I was actually wanting to rewatch it leading up to this because I I think I've seen it like a couple of times, which is terrible. Um, yeah. Just because of how much I love Ginger Rogers, mm-hmm. I've recently come to the conclusion I think she's my favorite actress of the 1930s, specifically the 30s. Um, she's so cool and she's so fun and she's so funny. I think she's honestly as iconic as she is. I think she's underrated, honestly, but, um, yeah, it's a super messed up toxic premise that makes you uncomfortable yeah. for like the whole yeah. time, but she kicks ass. I think she's the best part of the whole movie. Absolutely. I love Ray Milan, but she's the best part of that movie. Yeah. She's an underrated comedian. Absolutely. Um, the only other movie I want to mention because it, it was a movie that I watched leading up to this, but it's not making my recommendations is the seven year itch. Um, we mentioned yeah. it a few times. I watched it and uh, I don't think it's that great. Like, I don't think it's terrible, but um, I'm not a fan of the genre, which is man tries desperately not to cheat on his wife. 
not my favorite genre for sure. Yeah, I rewatched it too, and I just don't like the actor. Yeah, he's he's not likable. Absolutely, Tommy Ewell, I believe, yeah. right? He's like a pre-Jack Lemon type, and it's like I might as well just watch a movie with Jack Lemon. That like he's trying to be that in a way. Um, yeah, I, I think he's just not too good. The premise is kind of lame. Um, I hate how it's in color, to be honest with you. Interesting. Okay. Uh, um, cause like he was like before that he was doing Sunset Boulevard and then after that he's doing some like a hot in the apartment, which are black and white. Yeah. And all three of those movies are way better than this. It's a, I think it's just accumulation of a, making a movie that was going to make money. And, um, I think it probably did do that. And also has some iconic scenes, like the whole, you know, the Marilyn Monroe's dress being shot up and stuff. I just, the movie's kind of boring. It's kind of mid it's, it's, it's lower tiered Willy Wilder for me, for sure. Yeah, I agree. It was, it's based on a play. I could definitely see it being a really entertaining play, but as a movie, it's kind of, feels kind of lackluster and not terribly interesting. That makes sense. Why it has like only like two or three settings, the whole movie. Yeah. Yeah, Mm -hmm. absolutely. And he's talking to himself constantly, which you would think would work a lot better on stage. Yeah, although I do have to agree with him. He said, I'm certainly capable of taking making my own breakfast. I had a poached egg and two whiskey sours. <laughs> well, I couldn't have four whiskey sours. I had to have eight. <laughs> I know I always have to reference Once Upon a Time in Hollywood when I hear whiskey sour. <laughs> well, I have to you know, have whiskey I, sours. It's, it's been a while since I had a whiskey sour. I should go back to ordering those and acting cool when I drink them. I like whiskey sours. It's usually my go-to if I feel like I've gotten tired of gin and tonics and vodka tonics. I'm like, all right, let's go whiskey sour. Ah, yeah. All my alcohol is based around what's the calorie counts there. I can't be making my calories and drinking. Well, then whiskey sour is probably not for you. (laughs) There you go. See? Stick to those vodka tonics. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I like how that, yeah, I just, I, you are getting onto something that Billy Wilder is in love with infidelity (laughs) and some sort of like sex capade of sorts in all his movies and all of them have some sort of aspect of that um even something like double indemnity which is one of his best i would say and that one is more like scary sexuality you know like it's so taboo and it's so intense um but there's still some scenes of sweet sensuality but it's like i mean you get fred mcmurray and barbara stanwyck together like of course that's gonna happen that's the thing about the apartment that's hard fred mcmurray is such a monster in that movie but i think about double indemnity I despise him in the apartment. He's one of the most hateable characters ever for me. Yeah. Yeah. Double Indemnity has some of my favorite like sexual euphemism dialogue where they'll just let these really stylistic lines spout off. And then you think about it for five seconds and you're like, oh, they are talking about sex. That's the only thing that they're discussing right now. (laughs) Yeah, that that. Yeah. So (sighs) do you. So would you say the apartment's your favorite Billy Wilder movie then? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, that very good. That's a that's the Oscar winner there too. So I know it's kind of the basic answer, but I do think it's the best. What about you? It's the Lost Weekend, but it's also the Oscar winner for him too. So we both have that in common. That's the one that I haven't seen. Oh, uh, I think it that's was the only hard one to get his... on Blu-ray. Yeah, I think that's the only one of the big ones I haven't seen. Um, big movie shame. I can't believe I watched the Seven Year Itch before I watched the Lost Weekend. <laughs> Yeah, it's okay. I mean, that movie's probably more entertaining than a dr- five drunken day bender drama with Ray Milland, but I mean I doubt it. I doubt it actually. <laughs> I love The Lost Weekend. It's really dark and it it has very very great like dialogue in the movie. Like Ray Milland is just this cold yet charming 
D-bag, and I love it. And um, the character is like, I mean, you talk about character studies with like the Joker. I think The Lost Weekend shows you how you do a character study on someone with alcohol with an alcoholic problem. Um, what if I spend an evening like doing a double feature of The Lost Weekend and leaving Las Vegas? How would I feel? Oh, my God. Like you'd have like a beard, like like. Like, yeah, just like this ugly beard and you're just like shivering and you're cold and you're like, <laughs> hey, you want to come to Columbia? Do you want to bring like a drink with you or something? <laughs> <Please>. <laughs> we should make a you should do like a skit on your YouTube channel where just you trying to leave Columbia and like you have like the alcoholic problem they have. Oh, yeah, that alcoholic problem that I totally have. Yeah, hey. you were talking about whiskey sours, man. I mean. I hardly drink anymore. I will have you know. <laughs> oh, do you, do you get tired and have to go to bed by eight too? I'm starting to get that. <laughs> no, I go to bed by ten. Okay, I think we're definitely rambling by now. Um, Chris, thank you so much for coming on, uh, talking about some like it hot and Billy Wilder in general. Love talking about this kind of stuff with you. Um, where can people follow what you're doing online? And is there anything, any kind of inside the sequel stuff or anything like that you're putting out soon that you want to point the listeners to? Uh, yeah, we've been in a hiatus in the new year, but I will say if people want to have me for doing more podcasts, I'd love to hear more response to that. I'm kind of, I guess, behind the curtain. I can't decide if I want to rejuvenate the YouTube channel and take a pause with the podcasting or make it less, um, more frequent, or I'm going to just keep going with the podcasting. I'm still kind of mulling over that. Uh, I want it to be good. So I've been taking my time, hence why I've been gone, but um, I'm glad to be on here to talk about one of my favorite directors with one of my favorite people. And, um, I think, uh, I really enjoyed your, uh, romantic comedy stuff. I listened to the lady Eve episode and that movie is so good. And I love that episode just gushing about it. Cause it's Thanks, like, man. yeah, cause I, I was late to the party with that movie as well. Um, but yeah, that one's one of the tops for sure. So I'm glad you did that episode and I like that. Uh, it was really entertaining. Oh, thanks, man. And I, and I definitely want to point the listeners to a recent episode you did on Schlock and Awe, uh, where you talked about Lola and Francis Ha. That's a really good time. Mm. And that's that's a Jacques Demy movie I definitely need to catch up with. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't talk about him too much. I did think I want to talk about him a little bit because a lot of Billy Wilder movies take place in France or in Europe in some mm-hmm. aspects. And um, Jacques Demy kind of has the embodiment of Billy Wilder's vibe. So I definitely recommend those. Absolutely. Uh, Well, everybody, thank you so much for listening to the Cobwebs podcast. This concludes our romantic comedy series for now until we do another one. Um, But thank you so much for coming on this journey with us. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Cobwebs Pod. You can follow me personally on Twitter at Epler Daniel. Uh, We would really appreciate a rate and review in whatever podcast app you are listening in. And make sure you subscribe because... Next week, uh, there will be no new episode, I believe. But the week after that, we are starting a new series, our first actor-focused series on Steve McQueen. It is March McQueen Madness, doing a big episode to kick things off. So that's coming uh, two weeks from today. So look forward to that. In any case, uh, we will see you next time. Thanks a lot, everybody. If you're in a tender mood, tune in next Tuesday. Until then, good night.